Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. I want to take you back. The year was 1940, and we were introduced at that time, if, if you were alive, maybe, maybe somebody here, um, if you were around at that time, but in the time since then, we were introduced to the idea that you can wish upon a star and have everything, anything that your heart desires. Now, that enchanting song from Disney's Pinocchio that came out in the year 1940, it may have won Academy Awards, it may have become the theme for all kinds of Disney experiences into the future, but the reality is most of us don't build our lives on wishing upon stars, right? We don't pin our hopes on a wish upon a star. But, but there's another idea that showed up in Pinocchio that is much more likely to impact our lives. I want you to take a look at this clip from Pinocchio. Now remember, Pinocchio, be a good boy and always let your conscience be your guide. Goodbye, my lady. Not bad, says I. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Almost forgot about you. Well, Pinocchio, <clears throat> maybe you and I had better have a little heart-to-heart talk. Why? Well, you want to be a real boy, don't you? Uh-huh. All right. Sit down, son. Now, you see, the world is full of temptation. Temptations? Yeah, temptations. They're the wrong things that seem right at the time. But uh, even though the right things may seem wrong sometimes, uh, sometimes the the wrong things <laughs> may be right at the wrong time, or uh, vice versa. <laughs> Understand? Uh-uh. But I'm going to do right. boy, Pinocchio, and I'm going to help you. Anytime you need me, you know, just whistle, like this. Like this? No, no, try it again, Pinocchio. Like this? No, son. Now listen. That's it. Come on now. Let's sing it. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. Not just a little squeeze, pucker up and blow. And if your whistle's weak, yell. Jiminy Cricket? Right. Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide. You know, Jiminy made whistling look so easy. I was always befuddled. I never whistle very well, but he made it look so simple. But you know, doing what's right, actually doing the right things, can be as confusing as Jiminy Cricket made it sound to Pinocchio there in the beginning. Let, let your conscience be your guide. It's another one of those statements that... It sounds pretty good. 
Um, and, and it's not altogether wrong, but when we compare it to the standard of God's word in the Bible, we, we find that what God has to say is, is different. That it did just that that statement doesn't quite measure up. It doesn't exactly, the Bible doesn't exactly say that. But, but I wonder, why do we want it to be right? Why would we build our lives potentially on the philosophical musings of talking animals, right? which is not altogether uncommon? Why would we do that? Well, when I was seven years old, I ran away from home. And that's not why we build our lives on Jiminy Cricket. But I ran away from home, seven years old. Why was that? Why did, I, why did I run away? Well, I felt stifled, right? Seven years old, I wanted my own way. I wanted freedom. And for all of ten minutes, I had it, man. <laughs> ten minutes, I ran away from home. And, and that seven-year-old yearning for freedom, it's, it's common to us all. And I think we want the freedom to, to live in a way that we think will work out for our good. We, we think... It will, will be good in the end. We want happily ever after. And so I, I think let your conscience be your guide is, is one means of trying to achieve that, of finding that happily ever after. And following our conscience, it can appear to offer a path to freedom. I mean, on some level, right, a statement like that, it gives us, it gives us the sense of control with the appearance of humility. Right? I'm not... I'm in control. I can go make something happen, but no, I'm, I'm not just domineering. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not tyrannically making my way forward. And except for the most hardened among us, none of us wants to appear like a tyrant. And so, you know, we don't want to rule the whole world. I just want to rule kind of the part that affects me. And so I'm not, I'm not just bullying my way forward. I'm, I'm just letting my conscience guide me. So there's this sense of, well, it, it sounds like a pretty good way forward, and it sounds like it has a, a, a certain humility to it that is also appealing. But God has something very important to say about our consciences um, and this pursuit of freedom. He, he tells us differently than just letting our conscience be our guide. He, he says, when, as we'll see today, that in our common pursuit of freedom, our conscience, it's a great judge but it's a lousy guide. Okay. So conscience is really good. It's a great judge, as we'll see, but it is a lousy guide. The Apostle Paul, um, who helped write, God used to help write a large part of the New Testament of the Bible, he's perhaps the greatest example of this. Now, just a little background in case you don't know much about him. He had been rigorously trained in Jewish law. And he was considered at the time, he lived at the same time of Jesus, and he was considered one of the foremost experts of his time. And then he met Jesus, and Jesus radically transformed his life. But those two things, having met Jesus and being this expert in the law, if anyone should have had a conscience worth following, you could say it was Saul or Paul of Tarsus, his name, he was called both, but but this Paul in history, if anybody had a conscience worth following, it was him. And yet, there's this point when Paul is ministering, he's, he's helping plant churches and spreading the, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, and, and there's a point where he's challenged, 
And he's not altogether against people asking questions. It's just the nature of the challenge that was happening. And so listen to his response to, to the challenge that's being offered against him. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 4, it is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. Now that, that idea of judgment, I know, is a big one. We're going to look at it later in this series, just talk more about judging and, and what role does that play in Christianity. But, but just notice here what, he's, what Paul is doing is warning us not to give our conscience too much power. He, he says, essentially, it's helpful, but it's not perfect. He says, look, it's helpful. According to my own conscience, I think I'm okay. But that's not the ultimate standard. In fact, then, what is the conscience? I think theologian and faithful Christ follower J.I. Packer is really, really helpful here. And this is what he says. I'll go slow, but I want you to hear everything he says about this. He says, conscience, as distinct from our other powers of mind, is unique. It feels like a person detached from us often speaking when we would like it to be silent, and saying things that we would rather not hear. We can decide whether to heed conscience, but we cannot decide whether or not it will speak. Our experience is that it decides that for itself because of its insistence on judging us by the highest standard we know. We call it God's voice in the soul, and to that extent, so it is. See, what what Packer does here in his, his definition, his description of conscience, is he's helpfully showing us why Jiminy Cricket can be so appealing. Because, you see, Jiminy gets some things right. He, he's not altogether wrong. And, and like most of the statements we'll see in this series, there is a whiff of truth to this. And I, I'm not a big cologne guy because I got allergies and so I, I don't do that. But, but you know, some, I, I, sometimes you're offered like the, the little samples of of cologne or perfume, and, and you're like, oh, okay, great, and, and you get a little whiff of that, and you're thinking, well, hey, this is cheap, and, uh, and I've, I've heard of, like, people who would get the samples, and then you're just milking that sample for everything you can, right? Like, hey, this is cheap. I'm just going to rub that little thing all over. I'm going to keep it in my locker when you're in, you know, high school or middle school. Um, I, I'm just going to do everything I can to, to keep that because it, it, it smells pretty good, and it doesn't cost me a whole lot to use it. And so in the same way, it, it, this is the kind of idea that it smells okay, and so we think, well, I'll just stick with the cheap stuff. I mean, it, it seems like it will do well enough. But Packer is helping us see exactly why it's worth giving our lives to what is actually far more costly. But you know, sometimes things that, are, that cost something, it's because they really are worth it. I think that's what we're looking at when we, we look at the, the difference in terms of understanding the conscience. See, practically, our conscience, which again is a, is a helpful judge, but, but a lousy guide, our conscience, it, it operates, give you a couple analogies that I think derive from what Packer just said. It, it operates more like gas and brakes than like a steering wheel. Right? A, a steering wheel is to, to get you to a specific destination. But gas and brakes, that's for judging how fast 
you're going to travel, and for avoiding obstacles that might be in the way. But, but again, through regulating how fast or slow you go or when you need to stop in order to make sure you don't crash. It, practically, our conscience is also, it operates more like a thermostat than a thermometer. Okay, a, a thermometer, it tells us how things are. You go and you read the thermometer, it tells you this is, this is what the, the temperature is. But a thermostat's different, right? A thermostat uh, gives you a reading based on your setting. See, conscience, it, it doesn't tell us how things are. It operates like a thermostat. It, it gives us a reading on where things are. It, it helps us understand, wait, have I tripped something? Where is this in relation to the standard that I've set? Which, which is the second big point, is that we all determine the comfort setting for our conscience. When it comes to our conscience, we all determine the comfort setting. Just as you have a comfort level for how fast you'll travel, right? And that's different. We have different comfort levels for how fast we'll travel. A lot of times in marriages, there's different comfort settings for how fast you'll travel, right? And not to mention then a different comfort level for the temperature in your home, right? And that, that's another common one, right? One of you wants it hot. One of you wants it cooler. You have different comfort levels. In the same way, we have a comfort setting for our conscience. And so my comfort level or your comfort level is, in Packer's words, it's the highest standard that I know. And more practically, I would say it's the highest standard that I choose to follow. Right? On some level, it's, it's the standard that I'm determined to follow. And so I have to, God has given us the ability to determine the setting for our conscience. We, we have some control over that. As Packer said, God uses our conscience to do some speaking, but we have a way of, of manipulating what that standard is, what that, that comfort setting really is. And so th the question we have to ask about our different standards of conscience is, back to the beginning, will this standard bring freedom? If I choose to set my conscience at this standard, does it actually give me what I hope it will? Okay, so I want to look at some common settings for our consciences, some, some of the ways that we, we tend to uh, dial that thing in. The first one is this idea of peace. Sometimes we set our conscience by what will bring peace. Look at, take a look at this cartoon. You may have seen it before prison inmate. I let my conscience be my guide, and it turned out to be a sociopath, okay? I mean, if your conscience, if your conscience is Jiminy Cricket, then you're like, well, I'm doing okay. This is a good little, little cricket. He's, he's a good little guy. But what happens if you're given the sociopath conscience? Well, oh, bummer. Guess the, you know, the fairy godmother just didn't quite, wasn't on her A game that day, right? I, so, so, but sometimes this is what happens. We, we have this setting that is set on peace. Is this going to give me peace? Or, or in other words, will it, will it put me in a spot where I don't feel bad? And, and here's the thing. That's not altogether wrong. It's not completely wrong. But, but on its own, that's not enough. See, Judges 21-25, it, it describes a time in the, the, uh, the history of God's people where essentially... Their setting was peace. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. And if you read that by itself, you might think, oh, good, everybody's just doing what's right. But no, it doesn't say they did what was right. It says they did what seemed right 
And when you go back, this is the very tail end of the book of Judges, and you go back and you read all that is, is accounted there, and you see that, man, everything goes wrong. Because everybody's just doing whatever they've decided is, is okay for them. Just sort of this general sense of, well, I'm, I'm at peace, and so I guess it's all right. And it has disastrous effects. So that's one common setting. Another setting is popularity. Namely, we let the opinions of others determine where we're going to set our conscience. But the problem is, a whole group, or even an entire society, can agree on the wrong things. There's just a potential for that. Now, they might agree on the right things, and there are times in history where Societies have agreed on the right things. But just because everybody agrees doesn't make something necessarily right. At, at one point, in fact, God describes his own people in this way. Listen to this, Isaiah 5. He's, he says, woe to those, and he's calling, he's talking about his people. You read a little earlier in the chapter. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves clever. Here's God looking at his people, an entire society, and he says, look, you guys, your understanding of what's right altogether is upside down. You're in agreement, but your definitions are completely off. And you flipped right into something that is really wrong. So you have to be careful. Sometimes the popular thing can be a really helpful way of determining what's right. Sometimes that, that there is good peer pressure. But we also know that sometimes when we just set our consciences according to what's popular, things can go wrong. I mean, th this happens in, in all kinds of, all through our experience as, as humans, right? I, I, as a, a kid or as a, a young adult, maybe I defy my parents because all my friends are doing it. I know that there's something else, but I decide to change the setting because my friends are all doing it. Or even in adulthood, we can get swept up in a gossipy conversation at work or online because I want to be a part of what everybody's doing. Or maybe we, we watch or listen to things that that take you down a path that at some point you realize, man, this is not helpful to me. It doesn't honor the Lord, and it's really not helping my own soul. But we do it because we don't want to get left out. We want to be a part of, of what's popular. So again, popularity by itself isn't always the best setting for our conscience. There's a third one, and that's power. Sometimes power is about what is popular, but it can go deeper than that. Right? It can go deeper because what we end up doing is we set our conscience trying to please or avoid setting, upsetting those who have the ability to li make life better or worse for you. And again, it's not completely wrong, but we've got to be careful here. Here's again, another cartoon. You think about your conscience. I know it's small, but it says, if your conscience is bothering you, how much would it cost to have it removed? This is, this is the, the approach of power. Look, you, you, don't, you don't set the standard. We set the standard because we have the ability, whether it's through money or influence or, or however, we're going to determine what you do. And sometimes we give in to this, this influence of power. Now, positively, 
Again, there, there are good things. In fact, God says, you can look at it, Romans 13, government and laws are intended by God to help train our consciences. Law power is not altogether wrong. And sometimes it's intended to help us understand what is a good standard. Now, that's not how they always work, right? Sometimes laws don't necessarily tell us what's good. So you have to be careful there. But, but it is part of the intention. But negatively, right, today we're told things like, make sure you're not on the wrong side of history. That's an appeal to power and popularity, but, but there's a power dynamic there, right? That is, and you, you better watch out because your life's going to be miserable if you take a stand that is not what we have deemed is the most important one. So you've got to be really careful here when you start setting your conscience according to power in, in terms of, of what will make, seemingly make my life better or worse because of the powers that be. And this is the same kind of dynamic that showed up when, when Jesus was crucified. You had religious leaders who had a certain kind of power, and Jesus came in, and, and he shakes that up. Now, that doesn't describe everything that Jesus was doing, but there was a, a part of that at play. And, and so he shakes that up, and so they then bring Jesus to the, the Roman leader, Pontius Pilate, seeking to, to leverage their power and his power in order to be done with Jesus and not let Jesus' influence spread any further. And what happens then is that Pontius Pilate actually caves to this power appeal. He, he determines that Jesus should be convicted and crucified, not because he actually thinks Jesus is in the wrong, but because he doesn't want to make the people upset. And so you see this, John 18, he says, Pilate came out to them and said, what charge do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. In other words... We're the ones in charge. We've determined this, so it must be right. And Pilate caves. But there's a lot more going on there. So we can set our conscience according to peace and according to popularity and power, but really there's another setting that I think you'll see is, is the one that I'm going to say is the, the best one for us. And that is simply set according to reality. Reality, Romans 2 describes the fact that we know that, that God has given us an ability to know right and wrong. Maybe incompletely, but he does give us the ability to understand it. Romans 2, verse 14, it says, When Gentiles, talking about anybody who wasn't natively Jewish, so all of us, who do not by nature have the law, they didn't grow up with the, the Jewish law in their, as a part of their culture, when they do, though, what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or even excuse them. In other words, guys, we, we do the right thing sometimes whether we know it's the right thing or not, or whether somebody has told us that. We have some sense of, you know, if you say, well, you know, we're nothing but, but physical beings and there is no spiritual anything and love is just a chemical reaction, it's just a construct, it means nothing. So, so and you, you say that's how you operate and that's what you believe. And I come up and say, okay, that's fine. And I punch you in the face and bloody your nose. You're not going to sit there and go, well, it was just a chemical impulse. There's more going on there. We, we have a certain standard 
in our lives that, that God has put there. And we, we demonstrate it because, not because of what we necessarily do, but because of what we expect of others. That's what Paul's getting at here. See, on some level, you don't have to ask about just the, the standard that you're operating by. You just simply have to ask, what standard do you hold other people to? And now you know your own settings. Now you know some bit of what you really think is right and wrong. So, the real freedom we need is freedom from shame and guilt and freedom to live as we were intended to live. My runaway at seven years old, it lasted again, all of ten minutes. Why? And I turned around. I got down the street. I remember walking down the street. And at some point, it dawned on me. My escape brought all kinds of other questions that I had no answers for. Right? In that moment, I just wanted, I wanted the freedom. But then as I experienced the freedom, I realized, wait, I haven't thought through a whole lot of things here. Okay? My escape was simply into a new, less desirable prison. It's hard to go, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches don't just show up when you're seven years old. Like, I mean, you think they do, but, but when you get out on the road, you get in the, the hard streets of the marine base that I lived on, they're not just peanut butter and jelly sandwiches waiting for you in people's mailboxes. So, so all of a sudden you start to realize, man, I'm in a, a different place than I intended to be. And I didn't have a ton of sense at seven, but I did have that much. All of us have some sense of right and wrong. We may justify hurting others, but we expect them not to hurt us. So instead of letting your conscience guide you, what we do, we let God guide our conscience. And again, that, that statement's not altogether wrong, but let's, let's elevate it. Let, let's realize that my conscience in and of itself, again, it's a lousy guide, but it can be a helpful judge. But even better is to let God be the one, the one who created reality, be the one that guides my conscience. So how do we do that? First thing, ask Jesus to cleanse your conscience. What we have to admit is that the natural setting, and even what we read there in Romans, it acknowledges the fact that the natural setting of our consciences is off. It's wrong. It, 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 it's, it's been messed up. And this goes back to our just initial, all, all kinds of things early on in our history as human beings. And, and what that means is that for some of us, our conscience is always set to go. I mean, we have very, I mean, we're just ready to go, and very, thing, very few things actually slow us down. There's, there's a, a brick tied to that gas pedal. Right? We, we want to slow down. We, we just, it just keeps on going. And for others, we can't do anything without questioning ourselves. We keep a foot on the brake, even on the highway, right? We're just puttering along just because we're scared. We're, we're trying to do what's right, and so we just sort of putter along. But either way, over time, your con our conscience becomes callous. It becomes desensitized to what is really, truly right. And so if you're the one with, you know, kind of puttering along, well, you'll work hard to be at peace. You may work hard to do what's right, to, to please God in your own power and earn his approval. But eventually, that means that we have no real sense of God's ways. What we end up in is just having a standard of our own making. We're not really, we're not really trying to do what God wants. We're just trying to, to keep our nose clean. 
And so we, we end up creating a standard for ourselves that it's just, it's just based on our own understanding. And the result very often is this arrogant self-righteousness. So we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. And so if, if this is the standard we're holding ourselves to, now we want everybody else to have to go through all the difficulty that we're going through to achieve and earn God's approval. And we very quickly grow self-righteous and become this caricature of, of Christians, right? You're just constantly looking down on everybody, want them to all be perfect. And that's not really what, how God describes it. It's just this unfortunate fallout when we, we misunderstand the nature of what it means to know and follow Jesus. On the other hand, we can let go of the idea that God's ways really matter. We do what's popular or we appease those in power. And, and then that setting that once seemed not just uncomfortable, but maybe unthinkable, becomes normal. Start making our way down a path and we're like, man, how did I get here? It's because like the, the frog in the pot, the setting just changes gradually. And we don't realize, man, we're in... We're in dire trouble because we, we just, our standard has changed over time, however subtly it happened, but we're in a completely different place. But there's good news for both the self-righteous and the stubbornly sinful, and that good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. Your setting can be changed. You can, your setting can be connected to reality as God intends, but you can't do it on your own. And so we're told in Hebrews 9, what Jesus does. He says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. See, works of righteousness trying to earn our way to God are dead. And works of, of selfishness and rebellion that we think are going to, we can run far enough to free ourselves from God's ways, those works are dead. But Jesus came to save us from both, to cleanse our conscience so we can be made right with him. Sacrifices gave temporary relief from guilt, but Jesus provides a forever, once-for-all cleansing to give us what we most need. And that once-for-all cleansing then makes it possible for us to continue to walk in fellowship with him, to know that when we slip up, when we, when we get out of bounds, that there is forgiveness available for us. So we don't need to change God's standard. We simply call on the one who has met God's standard on our behalf. That's the good news. This is the message of hope that Jesus came to bring. And it's available to every single one of us. Second thing, if you're going to let God guide your conscience, learn in order to strengthen your conscience. Years ago, I joined a fitness club. I know you're like, oh, of course he did. Um, you know, I, I joined a fitness club, and part of the package, I, I got some of these um, personal training sessions. So I had this, this personal trainer, and this guy, he was in good shape. He had muscles showing in the spots that you're supposed to show that you have muscles, okay? I mean, he, he knew what he was doing. But, but just because he was my trainer, it didn't mean that I could suddenly double my bench press. It didn't mean that all of a sudden I, I could run twice as long without difficulty, what it meant was that when it came to getting fit, he was an expert. And as I listened to him, he guided me toward increased strength and fitness. In a similar way, we've got to understand God is not your conscience. He is there to guide your conscience. 
But when we trust Christ to cleanse us, God the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, and he promises that he will guide us into truth, that he will be the guide. And so it means he'll teach us, he'll train us to walk in his ways as we submit ourselves to his teaching, to his training. And as the creator of all things, as the originator of reality, it's best. I mean, we can look and say, well, it makes sense that we would turn to him to strengthen our consciences. This is what we're told in Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, guys, just like getting fit, spiritual health develops as we follow our trainer's guidance. And what God has told us is that Bible reading, prayer, learning with and from God's people, and serving others, this is the way in which we grow. This is the way in which we strengthen our conscience with his help. Third thing, by God's grace, keep your conscience clean and responsive. Paul says elsewhere in Acts 24, he says, I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. What he's saying is I'm, I'm setting out to do what God says is right. So you do your best to do what God has said. But then sometimes things don't quite go the way they should. And so if that's the case, clear up when you do wrong. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sometimes we mess up. And again, that's where Jesus has cleansed us once and for all, but he also offers us the reminder that we can be renewed in, in him, that we can come to him when we've messed up. And he encourages us when we mess up in relationships to clear those up as well. And sometimes you don't know this right away. Sometimes it happens later, but yet the forgiveness is still there and the help is still there to go and make things right. We want to keep our conscience clean and responsive. And finally, be considerate of the conscience of others. Again, the problem with letting our conscience guide us is that each person ends up then going their own way because our conscience, we're different people. And, and if that happens, if we each go our own way, then we're not only cut off from the true standard of right and wrong, but we're cut off from relationships as they're intended to be. We just we miss what God has in store for us when it comes to people in our lives. And so when God the Father, through, Je through Jesus, cleanses us, he's not just freeing us from something, he's freeing us for something. Again, these better kinds of relationships. We're told in Romans 15. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. This is simply an acknowledgement that we are all at different points on the journey. But God intends that as we follow him, we lean on each other. And we, we need each other in this journey. We're, we're called to help each other do what is right. 
And if you're farther along and you look back and you realize that other people are stumbling, then what we don't do is go, great, gives me an opportunity to get farther ahead. What we do is we turn back and we help one another so that they can be in a spot like we are. That's just, I mean, very simply, that's a major part of what it just means to be a Christian community. God has given us the promise of eternity. And we have all eternity to be together, to enjoy him, to, to walk in his ways. And so we can patiently help each other and pursue harmony instead of conformity. That's when things go bad. When we're just wanting everybody to just get their act together and conform. But that's not the way we're to operate as God's people. And so, again, and God intends that as we follow him, we lean on each other. So, when you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, just give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle. Take the straight and narrow path. And if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Seek the Lord. Walk with his people. But never let your conscience be your guide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have not left us to our own devices. You've made it possible for us to have our consciences cleansed from dead works. We thank you, Jesus. I pray if there are any here who have not yet experienced the freedom and the hope and the help that comes from trusting Jesus, that today would be a significant day in either learning more about what that means or, or today could be a day of transferring trust to Jesus. But for all of us who are here, help us to set the standard of our conscience, the setting of our conscience according to reality, according to what you say is good and right. And help us to be a community that patiently helps one another. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from the Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.